fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. People are strange when you're a stranger. Hey, people are strange, but not pe- not me and Pat. No, we're not. Well, well actually, I mean, I, I well, take that. We, we, no, yeah, well, <laughs> um, <laughs> never mind. That, that tune could be our that tune could be our theme song. It it could be. It could be. Like I had to recant. I kind of had to rethink that just a little bit. Let's 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 listen for a moment and find out. Oh man. When you're a stranger, faces look ugly. When you're alone, women seem wicked. When you're unwanted, streets are uneven. When you're down, when you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange, when you're strange. So nobody remembers your name when you're strange. Do you find uh, Pete? I mean, um, uh, Paul. Uh, um, do you find that it happens to you, Jack? You know what I'm talking about. It yeah. happens yeah. to me all the time. <laughs> uh, Julio is actually my real name. Julio. That's right. Down by the schoolyard. Um, so that that's something totally different. Um, and now for something completely different. Completely different. Um, that'll be next week. That'll be next week. Uh, we're talking about The Doors. Um, we're going to talk a little bit yeah. about the band, The Doors, but we're going to be talking about the 1991 movie, The Doors, the Oliver Stone movie, The Doors. That's what we got for you this week. We are the 30-something movie podcast, and um, just we'll, we'll, we'll get this stuff out of the way right, right at the very beginning here. We spoil the movies we talk about, and uh, we just kind of spoil away in these episodes. So if we start talking about some other movie that is not The Doors, we may uh, we may share state secrets when it comes to those. So just be aware of that. Uh, we uh, we we don't censor ours. Well, we do a little bit, but uh, we try to be family friendly. So, um, but Dennis is not here, so I don't have to have my hand on the censor button as much. <laughs> so, um, lo- oh, love, love you, love you, Dennis. Um, but uh, oh, yeah, so I have man. here with me. I know. So he's not that strange because I know his name. I have with me Pat Canagallo. Hey, hey, everybody. And How's everyone doing? I, I hope they're doing good. I hope they're doing good. Uh, I, I do know that we've got at least one person is doing well um, oh. because they left us a five-star review on iTunes. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. So that Thank was, you. That was very, very awesome. Uh, so we have, let's see, let me pull it up here. We have the five-star review on uh, iTunes here. 
from Travis Lasley. I don't. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Um, and he left this review. Might have, might have just left it today or within the last day or so. And uh, he said, I have listened to over 150 of these episodes now. That's at least a couple of hundred hours of listening. I can do that because these people are fun, informative, hilarious, and very consistent. A great group. The 30-something podcast. Who? Haven't you read the papers? Oh, man. Wow. Thank you so much, Travis. That's so cool. Yeah. So that's so cool. Thank you very much. And I did, uh, um, I, uh, he responded on Facebook as well. And so I, I asked him, you know, what's been your favorite one so far? Um, he hasn't responded back just yet, but you know, when he does, I'll, I'll share that on the show. Uh, but the Shirley podcast guys did respond back and they said, um, they said, I'm not sure about Travis, but my favorite episode was the one that we did on Pee Wee's big adventure. Okay. So I, that one has been so long ago now, I would have to go back and to listen to that one to know exactly what it is we said. Yeah. Yeah. I remember P. That was a fun time. Yeah. Off the top of my head, one of my favorites, and and not because we kind of picked on you a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorites might have been the never ending story. Yeah, man. No doubt. That no one doubt. and uh, what was the other? Oh, Return to Oz we did right around that time. That was like when we first got started. Yeah. I remember those being a good time. Well, Return to Oz was kind of a creepy time, and I, I just feel like... I feel like when you unleashed on uh, never ending story um, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like that was kind of a fun time. I'd have to go back and re-listen to some of those to know exactly what we said, but yeah, never ending story. I'm just like, guys, can someone just fill me in? Did, uh, did I miss something or, <laughs> or did, so, I, so treat, treat me did, like I'm a did, simpleton. Just tell me what happened. And <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I had to endure for the next month. Well, I don't know, Pat, what do you think happened? <laughs> Pat, if you were to use your imagination, what do you think happened in this particular movie? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, thank you so much, Travis. It was very, very kind. We appreciate the the five-star review. And and uh, we hope that we you've listened to 150 of these. So, uh, you've got several more to go. Um, oh, my gosh. Is, uh, but he deserves a, he deserves a medal. I, yeah. I, anybody who's I mean, listened to 150 of these deserves a medal. So oh my I think gosh, we got to get a medal at least for, you know, Podrick and, and Shirley podcast guys and, and all that stuff. So we, yeah, uh, we might have to start making challenge coins. The challenge coins yeah. would be good, man. Yeah. Well, Travis, seriously though, thank you. And that's so kind of you just to take a second and say some nice words. And, and that's, that's pretty cool. So very, thank you. Very much appreciated. Um, but yeah, he's, he's got a few more to go. Cause this one, unless I end up having to renumber anything, uh, this one should be episode 382. 382. So, 382. Yeah. So you could, you could put all of these in a circle at, and each have their own degree and then still have more left over. That's it. <laughs> that was, <laughs> it, it was my understanding. There would be no geometry on the podcast. That's right. Yeah. We're, we're, we're exactly 22 more than a f- full circle. That's right. So we've come full circle and then gone, you know, we've, we've taken it too far, I guess. That's right. Yeah. As we are wont to do. Um, but it's fun. It's, it's all in good fun. Um, That's right, man. What else is good fun? Well, there's more good fun over at the Scene Stealers Podcast Network, of which we are a member. Um, this episode is sponsored by Scene Stealers International Convention Agent, who has a top-class roster of movie and TV stars ready to be booked now for your Comic-Con or event. So if you want to check that out, head on over to scenestealersglobal.com. Um, and there are, I mean, there are tons of people over there. In fact, I was looking at it just a little bit earlier, and 
was jotting some things down. Um, they've got, uh, let's see, they've got uh, Lance Kinsey from the Police Academy, let's see, Police Academy and Loaded Weapon, uh, Joey Kramer from Flight of the Navigator. Um, they now have, they just added Watto from uh, Star Wars Episode 1 and Episode 2. Nice. Um, they have got, uh, they've got several people from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh. Yep, yep. Um, let's see who else have they got? They've got some, uh, they've got some others from adventures and babysitting back to the future, doctor who, um, all kinds of good stuff. So, I mean, they are adding more and more people each time. So if you are looking for folks to get to come to your, uh, comic con or event or something like that, go check them out. SceneStealersGlobal.com, Um, and then, uh, reach out to them. Let them know we sent you. Let them know the 30 podcast sent you. <laughs> I actually was watching something the other day, and it got to the scene uh, with Large Marge in Pee-wee's... Oh, oddly enough, Pee-wee's yeah. Big Adventure. And um, I think it was a Halloween thing. It was like a playlist of Halloween stuff. And uh, yep. it got to the scene where it has Large Marge, and then he walks into the yeah. bar, and he's like, Large Marge sent me? And, like, everything just goes completely silent. Yeah, yeah. That's, oh, man. That's impossible. You mean that the Large and... Marge I met was her ghost? Yeah, I remember seeing that. Freaked me out as a kid. Yeah, and she looked like, like this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, well, when you are done checking out scenestealersglobal.com, you can head over to 30podcast.com. That is the number 30 and the word podcast.com. We like to keep it simple. Uh, where you can leave a rating, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer via Patreon. Um, there is all kinds of good stuff over at Patreon. So if you want to join us over there, there are different levels uh, that you can join us at. So if you want to get a little bit more involved in the show, um, and if you want to, you know, if you want to come on the show and, and do things like that, there are absolutely ways that you can do that through our Patreon and different levels of support where you can uh, get uh, get more perks or more benefits from that. Um, but if you just want to be able to support the show a little bit financially and you want to get access to the extra episodes we put on there every month, um, then you can, you know, you could even just donate a dollar per month and you'd have access, any level of access, uh, any level of support, get you access to those extra episodes. Um, currently we do have a, we have a moral support level at $3 a month. Um, we have a listener's choice at $5 a month. And for that one, uh, if you support us at that one, you get to pick a movie from our year that we're in to have us discuss. Um, and then, uh, for as long as you continue supporting that, uh, privilege continues each year, each year renews each year. Um, and then there is an $8 a month. Uh, we will bring you on the show as a co-host for an episode. Um, and then that one also, if you continue supporting, then, uh, you, that one renews every year as well. So, um, so thank you so much to all of our Patreon co-executive producers. Um, always appreciate your support and, and just how you are, um, you know, you are definitely a part of this show and keeping this show running and, and uh, we just appreciate it so much. Um, and it has been so much fun to get to know everybody too, uh, through Patreon and, and, you know, through Twitter and, and um, all those different spots. So. Yes. Yes. And yes. Yes. So. All right. Uh, I think I've I think I've spieled all I'm going to spiel. Um, I have one thing. I have a little bit of sad news. I kind of hate to bring us down now a little bit after all that good stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit of sad news. Um, do you remember that uh, Catherine Bigelow, the director of The Hurt Locker, and uh, uh, no, 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 not Catherine Bigelow. Um, Patty Jenkins, director of 
Why did I say Catherine Bigelow? Um, uh, Patty Jenkins, who directed Wonder Woman. Okay. She was going to be directing a Rogue Squadron movie. Okay. And unfortunately now, it the production is not going to start in 2022. They have not said that the movie is canceled. They have removed it from their production schedule because it was supposed to... It was supposed to start production next year, um, and they have now removed it, and they have said that it was kind of because of uh, her conflicts in her schedule and I think somebody else's schedule, and so now they've just removed it, and they've said that hopefully once these scheduling conflicts have resolved, they can continue forward with creating the Rogue Squadron movie. Okay. So so a little sad because I was really looking forward to that one. Um, right. But uh, it, it sounds like it might be struggling just a bit. Okay. So so all I have to say to Patty Jenkins and the Rogue Squadron movie and anybody who's been working on it is stay on target. Stay on target. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want yes. it to just we don't want it to just impact on the surface. Like we, we want it to be a hit. Right. 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 Trying to think of any other Star Wars buzzwords and phrases I can throw in there. But anyway, that was that was my slightly sad news. Is that slightly uh, sad news? Rogue Squadron is is now no longer on the Disney production schedule. So, well, little little disappointed, but that's okay. I, I've I've got nothing, man. I got Sorry. nothing. But like you said, hopefully, you know, they just get it and make it right. And because I'm I'm picturing that thing as like a Top Gun in the Star Wars universe. Top Gun in the Star Wars universe could be very cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Uh, do you have anything else? Anything else before we uh, before we open the doors? Uh, I got nothing, John. I got nothing. All right. All right. Well, let's open the doors. Yes. Uh, our movie this time around is The Doors. It came out on the 1st of March, 1991, rated R, with a runtime of two hours and 20 minutes, directed by Oliver Stone, who also directed uh, JFK, back and to the left, back hmm. and to the left, uh, Platoon, born on the 4th of July, Producers for this one were Bill Graham, who died in 1991, Sasha Harari, and A. Kitman Ho. Uh, Graham d- was an actor in Apocalypse Now and Bugsy. Harari did production for Street Fighter and The Space Between Us, and Ho did production for JFK and Ali. Writer for this one was Randall Jansen and Oliver Stone. Jansen also wrote The Mask of Zorro and a couple of episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Stone also wrote Wall Street and Natural Born Killers. Cinematography was done by Robert Richardson. Uh, he also did cinematography for Kill Bill Volume 1 and The Aviator. Editors were David Brenner and Joe Hutching. Uh, Brenner did editing for Independence Day and The Day After Tomorrow. Hutching did editing for Almost Famous and Jerry Maguire. Uh, music, because the music was pretty much Doors music. There was no composer necessarily for this one. So um, a, a big old not applicable in that little section there. Uh, budget for this one was 32 million. Box office was 34.4. So it did not really make back uh, its money. So in in the definition of Hollywood and and what constitutes a hit versus a flop, this one was a bit of a flop. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Flick Metrics, which is a website that combines the Rotten Tomatoes scores, IMDb, and Letterboxd, uh, gives this one an aggregate score of a 69. Uh, Cinema Score did not have a score for this one. Uh, Cinema Score is usually when, if people are leaving the theater, they get polled by uh, pollsters who ask, you know, to give a letter grade. How did you enjoy the movie you just watched? So 
Um, I always like the cinema score ones because you you actually get a sense from people who went and saw the movie and they were just average moviegoers, not critics. Um, so I always mm-hmm. like that score. But this one did not have a cinema score. Uh, let's see. Starring Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison. He was in The Saint and Willow. Uh, Meg Ryan played Pamela Corson. She was in When Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle. Kyle MacLachlan played Ray Manzarek. He was in Twin Peaks and the 1984 version of Dune. Um, I, I got my HBO Max uh, for this month, and I still have not watched Dune yet. So I just I kind of need to find a. I need to find, my, a, uh, find a weekend. My dad and my brother went and saw it. Okay, um, is it in the theater? And my my yeah, they went and okay. saw it in the theater. My um, and my my brother's pretty into sci-fi. Okay, um, and and I, well, it, hello, so am I, and all yeah. that. But I mean, he's um, how do I say it? Like he. There's no way I could, I'm getting off the beaten track. I'm trying to say this without sounding offensive. He's into a lot of like sci-fi, like higher end sci-fi, and he'll read the books for things and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so we all read the book Dune, which great book. But uh, he and my dad both went and saw it, and their report was, you know, exceeded expectations. Pretty amazing. Followed the book so well. Like I mean, they were you know, all the superlatives they had to say for it. So, Oh, nice. Cause I've heard, I've heard both ways. I've heard some people say, Oh, it was awesome. It was great. I've never read the books. Um, and I actually, I've never seen, well, I've seen bits and pieces. I've never seen the entire eighties version of Dune. Okay. Um, but lately what I've been hearing is bad reviews for this one. So it's good to hear some people, Interesting. Went and people went and saw it I, and really liked it. I would be interested, you know, like any review, I would be interested to see, you know, who were the people and what was their review and, and you know, what was driving yeah. their review. The book is very good. Yeah. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed reading the book and uh, I, I wonder if that has bearing on whether you like the movie or not. Could be. So yeah, anyways, could be, but I was, uh, I thought there for a second when you were, when you were trying to delicately say something, you're like, well, my brother, he likes like sci-fi stuff and, and all these other things. And, I thought I didn't think you were going to like Dune. I thought you were trying to like strategically say something like, "And my brother is kind of a nerd." Nerd alert! No, <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. What I was okay. trying to say was he he's kind of the antithesis of of a fanboy. Okay. He's almost like the op- he's almost like the opposite of me. Like I will go and I'll say like, "Dude, latest Marvel movie," you know, and he'll be like, "Yes, some of them are good." But otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm not just going to go see a movie just because all the studios dumped a bunch of money into it and everyone's, you know, and are telling me you need to see this movie. I'll go see the movie if it's good. Okay. Did you get where I'm going? Like, that's yeah. kind of his tact. And I mean, you know, like, yeah, some Marvel movies are good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this sci-fi is good. Or, okay, yeah, you know. Um, and and he'll like Star Trek. and But I mean, like, uh, The Expanse. Okay. Loves The Expanse. Yeah. Right? And he's read all the books and novella, what, novels and novellas and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm saying. Like it's, okay. and and I was trying to say it delicately because I don't want to say like the low hanging fruit of sci-fi because then it sounds like I'm dissing like Star Trek and Star Wars yeah, and all yeah. that. But he's choosy about it. It's okay. not like oh, I'm just going to see Star Wars because it's Star Wars. There's some movies that are good and some that are, you okay. know. So, um, so he's on on the spectrum of how people react to movies. There's there's the pat end of the spectrum where everything is awesome. Um, yes. There's the Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets where everything is terrible. And you're saying your brother's right. in the middle there somewhere. 
Yeah, he's he's okay. in the middle, and he'll okay. he'll take you on. Like, I mean, it'd be like, dude, just went and saw whatever, and he's like, yeah, I don't know. Just yeah. go watch him grind out another multi-million dollar film, and then I'm supposed to see it because everyone tells me I'm supposed to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like that kind of a that kind of a zing to it. Okay, you know what I'm saying? All right, fair enough. So, so, so I that that was how it. And then you know you're talking for someone, and and you want to be careful because you don't want to like put words in their mouth. You so that's where all the like delicate tiptoeing around and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So all right. So yeah, he is he is selective about his movies. He likes a lot of hot sci-fi and heady sci-fi, and he reads the sci-fi stuff and all okay. that kind of thing. All right. Um, Fair enough. He, he he doesn't have, like, fanboy-type proclivities, if you get what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. So. I got you. If, if that makes sense, if I'm framing I, this correctly. No, that makes sense. Total sense. All right. Uh, let's so, see. Yeah. Uh, where do we leave off? Okay, so, yeah, uh, Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin, who played Ray Manzarek, he was in Twin Peaks and, and the 84 Dune. Uh, Frank mm-hmm. Whaley played Robbie Krieger. He was in Broken Arrow and Pulp Fiction. Kevin Dillon played John Densmore. He was in Platoon and the 1988 version of The Blob. Uh, Michael Wincott uh, played Paul Rothschild, and he was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and The Count of Monte Cristo. Michael Madsen played Tom Baker. He was in Reservoir Dogs and Species. Josh Evans played Bill Siddons. He was in Ricochet and Born on the Fourth of July. Dennis Berkeley, who died in 2013, played Dog. He was in Suburban Commando and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Billy Idol played Cat. He was in The Wedding Singer and Heavy Metal 3000. Uh, Crispin, I'm sorry, yeah, Crispin Glover played Andy Warhol. He was uh, the dad in the Back to the Future movie. And then Kathleen Quinlan played Patricia Keneally. She was in Apollo 13 and Breakdown. Very quick comment before I give the synopsis of this movie and then we play the trailer is... Um, I for for like a hot second, I completely did not connect that the Patricia Keneally, the one that was kind of the, you know, she was the the lady that was obsessed with all the cult stuff and, um, you know, maybe the the more intense affair of Jim Morrison's. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that that was Mrs. Lovell from Apollo thirteen. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, I, hey man. Give give that lady a medal. Give that lady an Oscar. Yeah, no kidding. Because that was like, yeah, that that took me a second. I was like, wait, what? That's a, that's the huh? same person. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty different. That was uh, was very different. Yeah, I'm uh, here. Uh-huh. Um, let's, uh huh. Let's let's drink the blood of the solstice god, and then we'll magically have. It's like, okay, thanks, thanks. It's been real. Can I just Don't do call that? us. We'll call you. Can I, can I just get a ginger ale? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. This is, uh, this is not my speed. Actually, this escalated quickly. Um, uh, what it made me think of, what it made me think of is you, last week after we were done recording and we were looking for yeah. a little chuckle, I showed you the key and peel video of, <laughs> yeah. of, of him going to the, uh, the bedroom at the party and trying to find his coat. <laughs> Yeah. Um, in, yeah. In the room where it's under a pile of people. Yes. That are um, uh, what was the what was the euphemism I used when we were doing the um, sleeping with the enemy? They were doing the flight of the bumblebee. Yes. Yes. Um, and so yeah, it, it actually made me think of that. Yeah. Like like that was like, yeah. we will drink the blood of the yeah okay um no I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get my coat and then I'm gonna go uh, you you yeah. people are crazy <laughs> you people are crazy yeah. <laughs> you people are crazy mm-hmm. wow uh, Savic that's uh, 
That's extraordinary. That's, that's extraordinary. What is? <laughs> yep. What does Doctor Marcus say we should do next? Uh-huh. <laughs> that's kind of like my reaction. Let's drink the blood of the. That's extraordinary. What does Doctor Marcus think we should do next? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Real oh, quick, last man. last digression before I actually you know give us the synopsis and then play the trailer. Um, our uh, our one of our mutually favorite <laughs> podcasts, The Greatest Generation. Uh, I was actually going to send them something in the mail. Oh, I had found I was I was in Milwaukee this weekend with my son. We had uh, gone and uh, we've been hanging out with some friends on uh, Sunday afternoon, and we stopped off at this little comic book store. We've been to this one before, and they have a box where they usually have a stack of old Star Trek toys from like the nineties. Oh wow! And so I'm looking around there in go. there, and um, and it's been. It's probably been a couple of months now since, uh, and you've watched Voyager, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a couple yes, of months. Yes, I have. Yes, okay. I have. So it's been a couple of months since they did this episode, but they, I mean, they made a point of really like making fun of this episode. And it was the one where Tom Paris mutates into like the salamander. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and he and Captain Janeway have salamander babies together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember that one? I think yeah. it was I think it was called yeah. Threshold. I think that was the name of the episode. Um anyway, mm-hmm. I I was here at this comic book store and I the first toy that was on the top of the box of all these Star Trek toys that are in like this this bargain bin um was mutated Tom Paris. And it was like oh, what it was like what he looks like before he goes full on salamander. And in the back of the box, mm-hmm. you, you couldn't really see it unless you look through the side of the packaging. Um, on the in the back of the box are three little like worm shaped offspring. Um, and so I was like, this is hilarious. Like I'm gonna buy this. It's five yeah. bucks. I'm gonna buy this. I'm gonna send this to Greatest Generation guys. And uh, maybe when they do their mail call, um, you know they can yeah. they can open it and and uh, get a little chuckle out of it. Whatever. So, so I bought it yesterday and, uh, I had, uh, I'd gone on Twitter and I had uh, private messaged them. I'm like, Hey, could I get the PO box number so I can, I can send you guys something. And, uh, 20 minutes after I send that message asking for the PO box number, I'm driving to work and I'm listening to today's episode and they're doing a mail call. Yeah. And, and they open up a package from somebody and they're like, Oh, cool. It's mutated Tom Paris. Oh, someone beat I'm you like, to the fuck punch. Oh man. So, so. I don't know if Donna is going to care or not, but Bo is going to get a free Star Wars action figure from me. That's, I think that's awesome. The whole story just warms my heart. If Donna won't let him have it, I'm probably going to give it to you. You know what, man? Hey, mutated Tom Paris. So you get nothing says friendship like mutated Tom Paris. It's and don't don't worry. That's not like a Christmas gift. That's just like a Thanksgiving thing. So you can, you know, don't, if, if Bo does not want it or, or is not allowed to have it, then um, uh, I'll, I'll pass that one on to you. There it is, man. There it is. All right. Well, what the people have been waiting about 20 minutes for is for me to give the synopsis of this movie uh, and then play the trailer for them. So I will I'll go ahead and do that now. Uh, After a psychedelic experience in the California desert, Jim Morrison, lead singer of The Doors, and his bandmates begin performing in Los Angeles and quickly become a sensation. However, when Jim begins ditching his musical responsibilities and his girlfriend, Pamela, in favor of his dangerous addictions and the affections of the seductive, occult-obsessed Patricia, the band starts wor- to ugh, starts to worry about their leader. Here is the trailer, and we'll be back in just a moment. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. Ah! 
Change, Morrison, we gotta make the myths. Oh! The Indians say the first shaman invented sex. They call him the one who makes you crazy. I'm the lizard king! I can do anything! Jim Morrison, the god of rock. Guys at Network have told us that they have a little problem with the lyric, girl, we couldn't get much higher. They asked if you could say instead, girl, we can't get much better. Can you dig that? Girl, we couldn't get much higher. I love it when you sing to me. I'm the poet and you're my muse. drinking blood. Mr. Morrison, you've gone too far. You're a poet, not a rock star. What you gonna do for Act 3? Say I was testing the bounds of reality. All right, Pat. So we can we can talk about this movie, but but we can't use the word higher. Can you dig groovy? Is that, is that... <laughs> girl? You can't get much better. <laughs> much better. Can you can you dig that? Are you are you good? Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. And now, and and then like, you know, 20 years after that performance, I was marching in my junior high band and we were playing light my fire, you know, which nice. is just awesome. Right. I, I just think it was awesome. So yep. parents in the sixties would have just killed over and died if that had happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my band director talked about that. It was funny. He's just like, yeah, this is back. There was this group called the Catholic League of Decency, and they would pass judgment on, and this tune did not pass. You know, crazy. I can imagine. Crazy. All right. Well, one of our typical first questions is, uh, and I'll, I'll couple that with, uh, is this the first time you've seen this movie? Is this the first time you've seen this movie, and how does this movie make you feel in a short one word or a phrase? Um, is it the first time I've seen this movie? No, but maybe the first time I've seen it cover to cover, you know, I've seen parts and bits and pieces anyways, you know, the time that I could really kind of, yes. How's that for a short, concise answer? Yes. Um, all in one sitting. Yes. How does it make me feel? 
Love the music. Some great performances in the movie. Yeah. Love the music. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is the first time I've seen this one. Um, Okay. And how does this one make me feel? Um, I'm not. We talked a little bit before we started recording. I'm not as much of a Doors fan music wise. It's not that I don't like them. Um, it's just, I never, I never really got into them, but you know, I do like, I, I think the comment I made before we started recording was, you know, the four or five songs that everybody in the world knows. Um, I like those two, but I don't know that I could say I am a Doors fan. Um, you know, if I'm looking for, if I'm looking for music to put on, I, I don't know that they are, you know, high on my list of, Hey, I'm going to put on some Doors music today. Um, if I'm creating a playlist and it's got some different songs on it, I'm, I'm probably going to include, you know, if, if it's, uh, depending on what mood I'm in, I might include mm-hmm. some doors on that playlist. But um, so how does this movie make me feel? I've been trying to figure that out ever since I watched it. Um, I really liked Val Kilmer in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like that for me was the, when I saw when I watched Val, the documentary, uh, a little while ago, it's probably been a month or two ago now, um, and I saw kind of like how how focused he was uh, in trying to get this part and become Jim Morrison and all that. Um, that's what made me want to see this movie. When I knew it was on our list mm-hmm. coming up, and then I saw the Val documentary, I'm like, oh, I, now I got to see The Doors. Like, I, I know we're going to watch it anyway, but, um, you know, I really want to see it now. And, and I'm glad that I did. Um, but I think I don't know if it would have helped, and, and we'll get into that. I don't know if it would have helped to have been more of a Doors fan to enjoy this movie more. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my very long-winded, like one-word answer. Um, <laughs> so it's your show, man. It's your show. Indulge yourself. Yeah. Well, let me give the short answer of I don't know. <laughs> there it is. And, and now we'll expand on that. There we go. Um, so I'm going to expand on that by, by asking another question. And I'm curious to know from your perspective in watching this movie, um, what was this movie about Pat? So this is, this is, I think gets into where I kind of hit the stumbling block with the movie. The movie was about Jim Morrison. Now, I don't know if it was Jim Morrison, the reality, or Jim Morrison, the myth. I don't know enough about the band to say yay or nay. Um, But that's what the movie was about. And I I think that's where I kind of like was like, oh, I I wish they would have gone in a different direction because I wanted to hear more about the band. Right. Like I wanted to hear more about them coming up with their sound. I wanted to hear more about the individual musicians that were in there and like what strengths they brought and and all that kind of stuff. What the movie ended up being about was, well, it was supposed to be about like Jim Morrison and his rock star lifestyle. Well, I don't want to say it was supposed to about that's kind of arrogant of me to say that. I mean, it's not like I know, you know, uh, what was inside the guy's head when he was making a movie. But I mean, that's kind of when I'm watching it, that's what it seems to be about. And, and it was kind of like, okay, this it's about the splash. It's about, 
you know, like the old adage, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, the rock and roll was in there as part of the soundtrack because they had the stuff playing, but they kind of focused on the first two, right, in, in telling the story. Yeah. And I don't know if this was one of the first movies to do it, so then maybe it created the 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 uh, formula but it was like the formula right the band starts to make it big the record guy comes up and says hey if you can ditch those other guys come with us we'll make you a star i feel like i've seen that trope a million and one times before um you know they 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 start to make it big but again you don't you don't really see them I mean, you see them kind of suddenly they jump from zero to a hundred miles an hour. So you really don't see them working their way up and, and what triggered and made people got people excited in the different, you know, in the studio making records, you know, you saw them in the studio, but it was again, from the point of view of, Oh, okay. Jim Morrison is, you know, drunk or high or whatever. And he can't even sing on key and that's causing frustrations within the band. And, you know, it was all within that band drama, which again is a trope that I feel like I've seen before. Right. Um, so I suppose in one sense, yeah, that is a serious problem with music, you know, the, the drug and the chemical abuse and all that kind of stuff that can, you know, tear groups apart and, you know, squash the creative spirit, but it, but the doors had a lot of great music, right. A lot of really amazing music. And, I wish that it was more about that than it was about the splash of, you know, you know, him dating this girl and dating this girl and this one's into drinking blood and this one's into, you know, you know, there's a broadsword and there's a marriage with Wiccan ceremonies and all this other kind of stuff. And I mean, that's kind of what it was about. The whole um, thing with the Navajo walking around i i didn't grasp that i didn't get what the what the significance of that was i don't get why they juxtaposed him kind of you know chemically fueled dancing around on stage to the navajo dancing like i i didn't get how that lined up do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I think when they, when they parried it, parodied it in Wayne's world too, I think it made more sense in Wayne's world too. than it did in this movie, than it did in this movie. So I guess it, it that was my long answer, but, but in answer to your question, what was the movie about? I think they decided to focus on the glitz and the, the rock and roll lifestyle. And the excess and all that kind of stuff um, kind of the, the detriment of, of talking about the music. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. No, I agree with you. If, if I had not done, and I did a little bit more reading after watching the movie, um, if I had not done more reading, then I would have said the same thing. I would have said this movie is to show how much of a, destructive jerk Jim Morrison was and that he's the one that destroyed the doors. Like he created and destroyed the doors in less than five or six years. Um, right. If I didn't do any other reading and just watch this movie, that's what I would come away with in terms of my understanding of who Jim Morrison was and what he did. And, you know, they, they made some incredible, amazing music um, and they were on top of the world 
for a few years, and then because of him, everything came crashing down. Now that I've done some additional reading and checking some things, what did you out, find out? I, what I found out, out is well, what I found out is is that a lot of the uh, a lot of the former band members and friends and pretty much people who who knew Jim Morrison well they hate this movie. Yep, that's what I found too. Yeah, absolutely hate this movie, and they they really don't like. Oliver Stone, um, in fact, I think I don't know if it was Manzarek that went as far as to say this is not Jim Morrison. This is Oliver Stone in leather in leather pants. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they have nothing nice to say because it was a book. Uh, the book, the biography, I think it was called Nobody Gets Out Alive. Mm-hmm. And so that was the book that this is loosely, well, kind of loosely based off of. Um, but I guess Oliver Stone even took from the screenplay that was originally written um, that was kind of based off of that book. And then he rewrote it even more and embellished and, and created other fictional pieces. Um, but apparently people who knew Jim Morrison well and were friends and bandmates and, and everything else, they didn't even like that book. And yeah. supposedly the stuff that you see in this movie was even originally like 40% of it was maybe what was from that book. And then the rest is made up. And that yeah. may that may have even been before Oliver Stone got his hands on the screenplay and rewrote it himself. Um, yeah. Yeah. So from from everything that I read, especially if you read anything, any quotes by Manzarek when he talks about, um, you know, his feelings towards this movie and how they did Jim Morrison wrong. Um, even listening, I, I went and found on, on YouTube some different interviews that um, journalists had done with Jim Morrison and as some of his friends have stated, and as these interviews show, he was a really intelligent guy. Like he had, yeah. you know, everybody admits, yes, he had a horrible drug and alcohol problem. Like that's, that's what did him in. Like that was his, that was his big problem. But he was not this like crazed, just beer soaked, yeah, drug addled maniac that they show in this movie. Um, that he was actually, he had a lot of really good ideas and he had some ideas that were kind of ahead of his time. Um, Mm -hmm. in this one interview, he goes on to talk about how he thinks the future, and this is in late 1960s, uh, maybe 1970. And he talks about how he thinks the future is going to be computerized and how people are going to have to, you know, figure out a way to live in a, cause you can't avoid it, but how are you going to live in a computerized world and still keep your humanity? And, and I'm sitting there listening to this going, all right, well, in 2021, like that's still, <laughs> we're, we're still dealing with that. Um, and, and this dude said that in 1970. Yeah. So we're talking like 50 years ago, he was yeah. talking about trying to keep our humanity in a computerized world. Um, drug addled beer soaked or not. I mean, in these interviews, he's pretty coherent and he's got some pretty good ideas and he sounds like an intelligent, you know, well-educated person who's, who's got ideas worthy of being shared and, you know, so yeah. so when I read all that stuff, the the movie itself, like there were points in watching this movie, like I, I appreciated the the music part, like you said, I wanted to see more of like how the band gets formed, and yeah. you know how they're how they're creating their music. I love those scenes. Then when it just got into him, you know, so drugged out of his mind that he's <laughs> you know he's locking his girlfriend in the closet and setting it on fire. Um, which supposedly is completely fictitious. That never happened. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the whole Thanksgiving scene, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, 
you know, granted, some of these things did happen. I think the bandmates admitted that there was one time he threw a television at somebody. Um, <laughs> but now that I've read all that, that has really it's it's really kind of tainted my viewing of the movie to the point yep. where I'm like, oh, man, now I would now I'm mad at Oliver Stone. Right. Like now I'm mad at Oliver. I am not mad. Let me point out that I am not mad at any of the actors in this movie because the actors in this movie did an amazing job. Right. Val, Val Kilmer, above and beyond all of them, did an amazing job in this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just mad at Oliver Stone now. I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm 100% agree with, with you, man. I mean, it's like you see this stuff, and I, I know that this might be a, a further discussion that we get into in this episode, but you put stuff up there, and whenever I, I just feel whenever you're doing a movie about some kind of real life or real person or re- you, you kind of, you have a debt to that person to either get it right, get it factual or make it in line with who, you know what I'm saying? Like um, who they were in spirit. Right. And I, I feel like this movie just kind of used it as a jumping away point to tell a story about, you know, excesses of the rock and roll, the stereotypical rock and roll lifestyle. Right. Because everything you just said about that with Jim Morrison, like really didn't come out in the thing. I mean, even when he was sitting there talking, he it was almost like he was, it was like, it was like an eight year old kid almost. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> And it's just, uh, you know, I just, I just find that kind of unfortunate. And I know, like, okay, well, we got to make a movie to fit a mold and sell tickets and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, yeah, I, I just, then just make it like the movie Rockstar, right? Yeah. Not, not, not dissing Rockstar, but Rockstar took elements from all different bits of rock and roll lore and put it into one movie. There was a fictional movie. Oh, that reminds me of whatever the story about this band. And Oh, that reminds me of the lead singer of this group completely different. But we talked about the movie Memphis bell, the movie Memphis bell was based on a real plane, but they changed the names of the crew. They changed the story around. So it was kind of like about Memphis bell, the Memphis bell, did all those things happen to the bell? No. Did all those things happen at some point in the air war over Europe? Yeah, in some way, shape, or form, but they used it as a jumping away point to tell a story that was keeping with the spirit, right? It's not so over the top that it's like, what are we looking at? So that's kind of when you watch this. I mean, I don't expect it to be a factional account of day by day what happens to the doors, but you, you you got to at least be within the spirit of the thing. Yeah. You know, and I think if you're going to do anything, if, you know, Jim Morrison with all his talents, it's tragic that if, you know, you know, abuse and chemical abuse and all that kind of ruined his life. Like it's something that should be looked at with tragedy, not, I mean, in, (laughs) you tell me if I'm wrong, but it was almost had the flavor of a man. Look at that rock and roll party lifestyle. Hey, you know what? You know, like 
party party, you know, yeah, it isn't the best, but I mean, it was almost glorifying it almost in a way. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like, cause you're not, you know, you're not in there. I mean, it, it looked kind of gross and yeah, when the guy died, but even the way they portrayed his death, I mean, it was almost, it was very clean and antiseptic and all that kind of stuff. And Hey man, you got to take a shower. You've been wearing the same leather pants for two weeks and it's like, okay, but we are not smelling all that. So when we look at it on screen, it's still cool. Cause he's walking around with sunglasses and leather pants on and you know, and maybe Jim Morrison did all that stuff. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, but it's almost like glorifying all those excesses as opposed to showing it as a cautionary tale for, Hey, look how talented this person was. Look at all the wonderful things they had to offer, but their life was cut short because, mm-hmm. or, or, or don't even make it like a, it doesn't need to be like a glorified PSA, but don't glorify it and amp it up and make it up and all this to just use that guy as a proxy for telling a story about excess. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Am I, yeah. am I, yeah. you well, know what and, I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and not having been, I know you talked a little bit before we started recording about how, you know, how you got started with the doors music and, and you, I mean, you're definitely more of a doors fan than I am. Um, mm-hmm. And and honestly, other than so so this is this is where I get frustrated with Oliver Stone is because if I had only watched this movie, this would be the understanding I'd come away with and be like, wow, Jim Morrison was really a jerk. Like mm-hmm. like that guy was terrible. Um, but then I read all of these different accounts of his friends' things. Like, no, he was actually a real. I mean, yes, he had a drug and alcohol problem that was terrible, and you know he wasn't a saint, but at the same time he was a kind person. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he was a thoughtful person. He had a lot of really intellectual things to say and, you know, in, in his poetry and things like that. So actually what I want to do, and I, I looked it up here just a second ago, I did find out that there is a 2010 documentary on the doors called when you're strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is on Amazon prime. So if you've got prime video, um, then uh, it is available on there. So I've, I've actually just added that to my watch list. I'm like, now I actually cool. want to go watch this because it's more of a, and, and not the documentaries can't be skewed because they certainly can be, but I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, now that I've watched this, and frankly, if I really was going to be honest about it, I was watching The Doors to see Val Kilmer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I the rest of the movie, eh. Do I, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of The Doors. Not that I, I don't dislike them, but... Not a huge fan, so I wasn't really watching it as much for the history of the band and things like that. I could take that or leave it. I was watching it for, I want to see Val Kilmer transform himself into this other person. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, it was just a tour de force yeah. acting example. You but know? Now, now that I know how much it sounds like Oliver Stone really skewed this towards whatever agenda he had or whatever he wanted to tell um now i actually want to go watch this documentary i'm like okay well now i don't want that to i don't want what's in my brain when i think of the doors and jim morrison i don't want it to be this movie that is the only thing that's in my brain so i'm actually going to check out this documentary and watch that at some point just to maybe as a little bit of a palate cleanser yeah yeah and and you know it's funny i i don't know did you ever see the musical the jersey boys no yeah. So, I mean, I would even be up for something like that. Like in the way they did Jersey boys, I mean, it was great. It, the focus was on the music, mm-hmm. right? They gave you enough of a story so you could kind of follow what was happening. 
you know what I'm saying? You could kind of follow. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is where the band met and this is how they got started. And this is where they became. And you know, but it was very, I'm going to, I'm, I don't want to incur the wrath of anyone because I love the show, but in terms of a biopic style musical about Frankie Valley and the four seasons, mm-hmm. it wasn't like super deep. Okay. It just gave a very cursory history. But what it did do was glorify the music, get the tunes back out there, get you listening to the uh, four seasons and kind of gave you, uh, you know, idea of how they built their sound. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I would have almost really rather, and I'm, I've said this, said it earlier in the show, but I would have almost rather, not almost rather, I would rather have seen that. How did the doors build their sound? Yeah. yeah. Give us an, give us enough about those characters. So, you know, like we care about them and we, but like all the effort that was put into amplifying certain parts of this, this, you know, Jim Morrison's life and making it all about that excess, put that energy into how this band created the sound and what they did for music and the music that they made. Cause it's incredible. Um, you know, and, and like I said, for me, and I know, I know I'm not, you know, a film director. I'm not, a. I don't write musicals. I don't, you know, any of that stuff, but for me, model it after what they did with Jersey boys, because I mean, I, that is such a great way to like tell you about a band, but focus on their music, mm-hmm. yep. you know, and maybe, and, and maybe it's just that, you know, 20 years, 30 years on, I mean, not that I do any social media, but you know, there's always some Tic Tac account or some, you know, Insta chat or something coming out that, Oh, did you see what so-and-so said about so-and-so or take a look at this. We caught pictures of so-and-so, you know, drinking too much at the whatever. And, and it's just like, yeah, I, I don't need more of that. Like I, I want to have an honest look, but I mean, I, I'm not entertained by that. Show me what their positive contributions are. Show me what their, you know, uh, uh, what their music was and how much effort they put into it and how it influenced other people. Like those are the things, those are the stories that I want to see. I don't need to see splash. I don't need no, I don't need more drama. (laughs) Right. I don't need more like, Oh, let's pick a fight. You know, like we don't need, the world doesn't need more of that. The world needs more excellent music. You know, I mean, so. Well, a couple of things, a couple of things that you had mentioned, um, you had mentioned, you know, the whole thing of the the scenes where you had the um, the uh, Native American chief that showed up mm-hmm. in some of those different scenes, and you were you were saying, I don't even know what that was about. Like it it kind of right. it kind of made some sense in Wayne's world too. But um, so apparently, and this is this is one of those cases where I think it would have helped to focus the story a little differently. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what I was interested in more so than the you know sex, drugs, and rock and roll piece of things was, um, you know, uh, Jim Morrison's spirituality and kind mm-hmm. of, you know, that whole side of him. And and that was more interesting to me if it would have been more of a struggle about that part of his life. Um, so supposedly, and I, I don't think that they really show this at all or, or effectively show it, um, apparently that scene we see at the beginning of the movie where he's a kid and they're driving past the car accident, um, mm-hmm. where some native Americans have been involved in a car accident. Um, apparently he is, I don't know if it's in an interview or somewhere else. Uh, he was quoted or reported as saying that he felt like 
the people that had died in that car accident, um, that their spirits had inhabited him uh, and come okay. into him when he was a child. And so that mm-hmm. led to that led to some of his other kind of spiritual experiences and and some of his thoughts that you know his thoughts about spiritualism and and you know ways of opening his mind to try to understand the world uh, in a different way and and things like that. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, I didn't get that at all from the movie. Right. Like that was totally it, totally missing. Yeah it it, it was almost like. You remember Pulp Fiction? Yeah. When Samuel L. Jackson had that one line that he always read, and it was supposed to be, I think, from was it Revelations or something? And it was from Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. The, oh, the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the iniquities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. You mean that one? I mean that one. Well said. (laughs) Well said, sir. Well said. Now, I don't know what any of that means. I just thought it was some bad stuff to tell a guy before you (laughs) pop a cap in him. Right? Like, Like, that's kind of what I felt like is that they were showing us all this quote unquote spirituality. Mm -hmm. And when I say quote unquote, not because I'm judging what was supposed to be represented, but it's like, they don't explain it. Was that his spirituality? Was it not? It it was like the way it was portrayed in the movie. It was portrayed as just kind of cool stuff to put on there for a montage. Right. Right. Like explain to me his belief structure, explain, you know, and I'm, I'm not judging other beliefs and all that. I'm just saying the way it was portrayed in the movie was some cool stuff that you do, you know, that you save right before, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> some cool stuff you say right before you go on stage and pop a cap in some guy's eardrums. Yeah, that's right. Or yeah. go drink peyote and, you know, with you your go. friends in the desert. Yeah. I, I mean, and I mean, again, maybe, and I'm not assuming here, but I mean, maybe if that was the extent of it, then then maybe that was kind of what it was is just, you know, basically they were kids at that point. You know, they're all a bunch of kids or, you know, young adults. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get into this this uh, this other belief structure. So all we do is go out into the desert and take peyote and it's going to open up your mind. And well, if that's the extent of it, then OK. I mean, that's, that's not a spiritual belief. That's just, Hey, let's go out and take drugs. But then if you're going to put that in the movie where there, you keep seeing this imagery come forward to what end, what are you trying to tell us? Uh, do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, which, or well, just, and, and which, and which oddly enough, that whole scene in the desert apparently never happened. It was total fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, that was a, uh, that was an Oliver Stone edition. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, we're just, well, the more, the more stuff that I read about, you know, what was, you know, cause you're, you're watching, you're watching this movie and I'm like, okay, well, I get a good, I have feel like from this movie, I might have a decent sense of what kind of guy he was and, you know, his, some of his beliefs and his relationships. And, um, apparently a lot of the stuff about his relationship with Pam, um, mm-hmm. also total fabrication. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. That supposedly, um, supposedly uh, Pamela Corson, they, she had all the rights to his poetry. And that Oliver Stone wanted to be able to use his poetry in the movie. And so I guess the deal they kind of struck was, um, and it it wasn't with her, it was with her family, because obviously she passed away, you know, just a couple years, three years, I think it was, after Jim Morrison did. And so apparently her family, um, they were going to allow him to use Jim Morrison's poetry in the movie as long as he depicted Pam in a very positive light. And did he do that? And, well, supposedly compared with what she was like in real life, from what I have read, yes, that this is a very different, um, you know, very different person. So apparently in real life, um, she was much more like they didn't meet each other until the doors had already established themselves. And I guess she was much more of a freeloader. Like it was, you know, she was just there to you know, ride his coattails so that there was enough money for the drugs. Um, and that I guess after he died, um, you know, she was prostituting herself out so she could get drug money. And, and so some Ugh. people, some people, when they've read the end of this movie and it shows those, those captions at the end where it says, and, and she followed him to the grave three years later, I guess some of the, some of the friends of uh, Jim Morrison have said, that's ridiculous. Like that makes this sound like some great love story where one of them died and then like a lonely puppy, the other one died three years later. Like that mm-hmm. is, that is not at all what this relationship was. Um, that is not at all the person that she was. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, which, which is funny because, and I chuckled a little bit to myself that um, when this movie first started, and again, I didn't know anything about the life of Jim Morrison. Um, when this movie first started and the two of them met, and it's like, what's your name? My name is Jim. What's your name? My name is Pam. I was like, really? <laughs> so we have a Jim and Pam. That's fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, it, it wasn't that at all. So, no. um, and I, I did look it up just in case anybody's curious. I tried to look it up and see are Jim and Pam from The Office named after Jim Morrison and Pam Corson? Probably not. Okay. So couldn't find anything, but if anybody else wants to do some research and tell me whether I'm right or wrong on that, but no, apparently this was not a love story for the ages. Yeah. It was more of a, Hey, you're wealthy. Um, you're popular. You've got money. Money buys drugs. I'm going to hang out with you. Right. So. Right. (sighs) Yeah. I, (sighs) I think it is what it is, man. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it pains me to say it, but yeah, I think it, it is, it is what it is. And, and I'm glad that the word has kind of gotten out there and there's other avenues to, you know, check out the history of, of, uh, of this. And I think, you know, I, I think now more than ever, we just got to make sure if we're telling the history of something, we, we got to tell it as close to the truth as we can. And, and, um, you know, let's 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 be honest about where the struggles were so that we can take the lessons from it and let's celebrate the good let's celebrate the incredible musical legacy you know so the uh the the last couple things i did want to share and then we can jump on into our three questions is uh, a couple of the little trivia bits and pieces um so val kilmer did such an amazing job of becoming jim morrison or as several of them have said a version of jim morrison um Mm -hmm. 
that a lot of the surviving members of the Doors, uh, they could not tell the difference between Val Kilmer's voice and Jim Morrison's voice. That's cool. Um, that he was he he just in he just became this version of Jim Morrison so much, and he listened to I think he listened to and memorized all of his songs, and that it got to the point, and I think that's why you know some of his audition tapes I think actually. Um, uh, Oliver Stone was like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want this Val Kilmer guy for it. But then they were playing one of these tapes, and I think it was one of the members of the Doors was like, um, "Where'd you get that tape of Jim?" And they're like, that, "That's not Jim. That's one of these actors that is like, no, that that sounds exactly like Jim." And so I, I think they weren't going to to bring Val Kilmer in for it, and it was that that actually got them to to sign him onto the movie. Because they figured, you know, if his bandmates can't tell the difference between Jim Morris and Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. this might be the guy for the part. Yeah, that's cool. Um, supposedly, Val Kilmer got so caught up in becoming Jim Morrison that um, not only I think this was from the Val documentary, if I'm remembering it correctly, like this might have been the beginning of his some of his issues with his wife at the time okay. that led to their divorce because he really got in character. And I think it was driving her crazy that she was having to listen to doors music all the time. Um, <laughs> and that he was walking around acting like Jim Morrison for like almost a year before making this movie. Um, okay. And uh, so I think it, it maybe have strained the marriage a little bit. Okay. And then what I also read was he actually had to go to a psychiatrist after making this movie um, to quote, uh, help get Jim out of his head. Like huh. that, that he had become Jim Morrison so much that he had to actually had to go see a psychiatrist to get uh, unmorrisoned, I guess, if we want to put it that way. And that's funny. So, that's crazy. Yeah. Now, crazy. The, the one thing, the, the last thing I was going to share from some of the trivia and I, part of me is like, I don't know if I'm going to go back and rewatch this movie. So I guess I just missed it. And I don't know that I'm going to go back and, and take the time to rewatch it. Um and I wish it would have been a little, you know, not that if somebody wants to hide something in a movie and and, and just see who catches it, um, but I didn't catch it. And I, I would have liked to have caught that maybe a little bit more. Um, so apparently throughout the movie, there is a man with a shaved head that is either passing by in certain scenes um, or in the one of the last concert scenes. He's kind of following the band in a little parade as they go out. Um he uh, in one scene, I guess he tips his hat to Jim Morrison on the street. Um, apparently, this guy was supposed to be a representation of death that was following mm-hmm. Jim Morrison around all the time. Well, there you go. I was like, all right, well, that would have been cool if I would have noticed it, but I didn't notice that. So I, I guess I missed it. Um, that would have been kind of cool, like kind of cool imagery there. But um, and and normally I tend to try to catch things like that. Like I, I feel like I pay attention pretty well when I'm watching movies. Um, mm-hmm. This one, uh, this one slipped me by. So, well, maybe there's a YouTube video, all depictions of death in doors. I might, and, I, you know, I'll go check it out. You get that like way. a, you get like a four minute video. Maybe there's yeah. something like that out I'll, there. I'll go check it out that way. I, I don't know that I'm going to rewatch this one, but yeah. Um, but I will say, and that, that'll be kind of my my final thought on this one too. Is good lord, Val Kilmer. Yeah. Yeah. So Val, if you're mowing your lawn and you're listening to this, um, nice job. Yeah. Outstanding. Like this is of all, I would even say of all of his different performances, acting wise, this might be his best. Okay. 
Yeah. You know, because I, I love him. I love him in Willow. I love him in, I mean, I've seen tons of his movies. Um, well, no, hold on. All right, Tombstone is in there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. He, I mean, he became Jim Morrison in this movie. Now, I still got to go Tombstone. I can't. I was going to say, I'm a Huckleberry. Yeah. No, I can't. Uh, I just, on, on principle alone, I can't put anything above Tombstone. It, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. He's an educated man now. I really hate him. <laughs> I know. How about a spelling <laughs> contest? Maybe maybe poker just isn't your game. I know. Let's have a spelling contest. <clears throat> Music lava. Okay. Um all right. <laughs> so if this uh well so kind of our one of our final questions uh we do every once in a while. Um if this movie was being released in theaters today, what would be the reason you would go see it? Oh, the music. Okay. Love the music. And I'm 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 just gonna say I, I would say up until recently I've been like a casual Doors fan, mm-hmm. right? I've got the best of album. I love listening to them. I love the tunes. I love the band. I I remember when my cousin introduced him to me. Uh, my cousin was a few years older than me. He still is a few years older than me. And it was like right about the time, you know, I don't know. I was like in junior high or whatever. And he was like really getting into the doors and he had this, all the albums and he was playing them for me. And I'm just like, my gosh, this group is fantastic, you know, but it was one of those things that I just remember kind of like checking them out. And yeah, they're great. They're wonderful. I mean, and I, I always knew that the guys in the band were, were all of them were just really talented musicians, but watching the movie this time, it was like, Oh man, that tune's great. That tune's great. And I pulled the music out and I'm like, God, these, these guys are just absolutely fantastic. I mean, this is a fantastic band. And um, so, you know, listening audience, here's my pledge to you. Like I I'm a casual fan now, but like my goal is, you know, you know, in in about a month to become like a hardcore fan, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to take a deep dive into their music that started a couple days ago. I'm going to take a deep dive in all the music and, and just, you know, not be kind of like the fair weather, like, Oh yeah, I, I know the band. Cause I know like a couple tunes and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but like really listen to it because it's just great music. And I, I just, I, I just wish that that movie could have brought more of that to the fore that, you know, I mean, and, and it made me kind of chuckle when they, they had the trope of the guy like, Hey man, if you can ditch those guys and come with me, I'll make you a millionaire and everything. And it was like, no, those, those, you don't want to ditch that band. Those guys are pretty amazing. And just the fact that they came from pretty diverse musical backgrounds, right? Like not only were they very, to my understanding, and obviously viewing audience right in, uh, put your comments on the outside of a PlayStation 5 box and send it to the podcast and we will read your feedback. But my understanding was like these guys not only like knew their instruments inside and out, but like had come from a diverse arrangement or arrangement array of backgrounds, whether it was like blues, jazz, rock. I want to say that the guitarists had even done a, a lot of like Spanish guitar. And I mean, it was just all that influence came into the music. And, and when you listen to the songs, they're pretty, they're pretty, 
you know, advanced stuff. I mean, you've got interesting intros, you got uh, interludes, you got great extended solo sections. Um, you've got uh, really great lyrics and the way that the way that they're sung, right? A lot of the music, it's almost trance like, you know, it's just kind of repeating rhythms over and over. And I mean, just so much great music going on in here. And I mean, I know like, you know, like, you know, when we were growing up, I mean, it was like fish fish was the jam band, right? I mean, they were the band that like, you know, would play extended solos and could really do a lot of great improvisational stuff. And then you'd always hear like, Oh yeah, well, you know, the grateful dead would do the same thing. Oh yeah. Okay. And then it was the Jerry Garcia band was, you know, would do even more of that and you know, all that stuff. But I go back and listen to this and it's just like, man, when you listen and this was what's going to make one of our three questions so difficult, you know, picking your tune, you heard all these extended solo sections. And if they're doing that on albums that were released in the sixties, when an album was an album and you had a limited amount of time and they're putting, they're putting solos in like that. I, I can't even fathom what they sounded like live. If they were just going to indeed like go out and Hey, let's just, let's just open this thing up and let's just jam on this tune. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, just, such great music and that's all i got to say about that so give me a month i'm gonna i'm joining the ranks of the great of the doors right fans like i said i've been a casual fan i'm gonna be more than a casual fan in about a month give me time i've got i've 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 done way too much damage to my credit card buying albums off amazon in the last you know 48 hours so like i said becoming a huge fan of the Doors music and it's a long time coming. I, I should have done this 30 years ago, but what the heck better late than never. I'm going to, I'm going to check in with you after Thanksgiving break and yeah, uh, man, and, and we'll see how things are going. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. My answer to the question is uh, if this movie was being released in theaters today, what would be the reason you'd go see it? Val Kilmer. Like I, I, right? I think it would be his performance. That is what would draw me in because like I said before, um, I like their music, but I'm I'm not you know I'm not a huge fan of their music. So um, the music itself would not be what would draw me in, but it would be I would want to see, and that that's what drew me in this time was when I watched the Val documentary. I was like, okay, well now based on how much it seemed like he really wanted this part and all the work that he put into trying to get this part, and then once he did get this part, how much he just inhabited the role. Um, you know, it was um, Roger Ebert did not give this movie a good review. I think he gave it two and a half stars. But I did pull a quote from his review, and he says um, that one of the strengths of the movie is Val Kilmer. And he says, quote, he looks so uncannily like Jim Morrison that we feel this is not a case of casting, but of possession. Huh. Like, yep. Yep. So that's what would pull me in. So, all right. It's time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Question number one. 
Um, I probably should have made this question number three because this may take a while. Um, question number one, what is your favorite song by The Doors? <laughs> You're not going to tolerate yes, are you? <laughs> uh, no, that's a completely different band. Okay, shoot, yeah. But I will, uh, if you if you give me, and actually I've, I've got, uh, I think I've got the very best of The Doors uh, playlist queued up here. So, um, so if you've, if you've got a song in mind, then I can, uh, I can pop that one on here. Now I will say it's probably gonna be a little bit easier for me to go first. Um, I did go through and I I was listening for the last couple of days. I did listen through to some more of their music and, um, you know, heard some songs that I know I've heard before, but I don't know if you had pressed me on it. You're like, Hey, who sings this song? I don't think I would have known necessarily. Or if you'd asked me, Hey, list a bunch of doors songs. I don't think I would have been able to list them, um, you know, but, you know, so I, I, I was getting some other songs like, um, oh, like uh, Love Her Madly, mm-hmm. uh, Soul Kitchen, L.A. Woman, some of those. I mean, the ones that I know best are, are probably, like I said, the handful of songs everybody knows. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know Touch Me, um, Riders on the Storm, People Are Strange, Light My Fire, Love Me Two Times, Break On Through. Um, the end, um, that's probably, that's probably the extent of, you know, my knowledge before I started listening to some of these playlists. Um, so I, for me, even though my first, the first song I ever encountered for the doors was the end, um, from Mm -hmm. apocalypse now, I think, I think favorite song of theirs that I got to go with, I, I probably got to go with, um, people are strange. Okay. Let's hear it. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange. When you're strange, when you're strange People are strange, when you're a stranger Faces look ugly, when you're alone So I think it, I just kind of a combination of I, the lyrics are great. It's got fun kind of like little, you know, whimsical music uh, going on yeah. there and kind of a an upbeat little little kind of rocky bluesy tune and um the little pause in there yeah but don't pop yeah yeah um and the, the funny thing was i was playing this in the car earlier when i was driving some of the kids back and forth to, to basketball practices and nora was like i know this song and i'm like how do you know this song like i don't know that i've ever played this in the car i don't she's like i don't know i've heard it somewhere before so mm-hmm. somehow Nora knew this because, and she was even like humming along with the music. I was like, "All right, I don't know where you would have heard this, but good for you." <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's funny. I mean, um, it, it just I mean, just listening to that, listening to I mean, I mean how they're all fitting together. They're so tight as a band. And if you go back and play that section, that like the way the drummer like just keeps time in there, and then all of a sudden his pattern starts to become a little bit more uh, um, 
there's more to it, right? There, it becomes a little busier, and then he starts adding in some of the fills and everything. But he, but that kind of like grows out. The tune grows. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they're not tripping over each other. I mean, there's just a a great level of communication with the band, and 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 just how it just all fits together to build that picture, to build that story that they're trying to make with that with that tune. It's yeah. it's just great music, John. Yeah. So that's mine. I will I will pick People Are Strange as mine. Nice. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say Riders, uh, Riders on the Storm. I just love this tune. Nice. It is so good. about that one and and i don't want to talk over your explanation for why this is your why this is your favorite um what's fun about that one is it's got you kind of start off and it's got that kind of you know it it sounds like a country song it sounds a Mm -hmm. little bit like it almost sounds like it belongs in a spaghetti western um Mm -hmm. and then but then you kind of like blend it in a little bit into a little bit kind of jazzy rock and then you know from there it, it goes back a little bit into you know the uh the the western sound and kind of just flows back and forth between those different genres. Yeah. It's just so slick, man. I mean, tell me that it doesn't get your hair on end when you hear do, 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 do. And when that thing cuts in, I mean, that is so good. And, uh, and like I said, I just keep going back to, um, what the drummer's doing, right? Like the way he, the way he's playing, he's keeping like just solid time, Right. But it's not over the top. It's not loud. It's it's almost subtle. Like, and he's just he's just driving that thing, right? He's got that energy going, but he doesn't need to rely on just like banging the crud out of the drums to do it. He's just keeping really slick time. And then when you get like you listen to how he fills that in there, it's just clean, excellent, soulful playing, right? Guitar 
like leaving so much space in there, right? Plays a couple of notes, lets it cook a little bit, plays a couple of notes. And then what I love is that this, this, the song goes on and you get those extended solo sections and the way those guys play their solos, it's just such interesting, interesting, almost sounds like, like I'm not roasting it. Like, Oh, that's interesting music, Marty. No. I mean, it's like, it's like interesting to listen to. It's not like, Oh, okay, here's the solo. Great. Let's get back to the chorus. It's like, wow, keep playing. Right. Like I could just sit there and listen to those guys play for an hour, you know? Um, and, and like I said, when Jim Morrison's vocals come in, it's like that voice. It's just, oh yeah, that's awesome. You know, um, just wow. What a great tune. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it, it sounds really great when you're cruising down the road on a motorcycle. Let me tell you, I mean, <laughs> I that really makes it. You know, it really ties the room together. I'm sure it does. All right. Question number two. Who's your favorite singer or musician who died too young? And I think I, I put in a little bit of a caveat. I was like, eh, let's say maybe like younger than 40. But if you need to go a little bit beyond that, that's fine. I just was trying to like give us somewhat of a number to to base <laughs> our uh, to ba- base it for uh, what is too young, let's say. Right. So mine, my two, actually one hits, I think, 40 exactly. Um, and the other one that I was going to mention is I think he was 45 when he died. Okay. Um, and then if we were going like way, 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 way far back in time, um, I was trying to remember how old uh, Mozart was when he died. Okay. Yeah. I, I think he was pretty young. But I mean, like that's if we're going really far back. If we're not talking like 20th century musicians, then. Right. Well, you said singers, right? Uh, singers or musicians. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was thinking singers and I'm, I'm, Oh, that's fine. I'm, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Mozart, cause Mozart died. I think he was like 33. Let's see. He was, I'm going to do a little math here. He was 35. 35. Okay. So, so Mozart, I mean, you can put him in as, as, uh, as one of those. Um, yeah. if, I, if I was going to limit it to 20th century folks, um, the ones that the ones that I had in were John Lennon and Freddie Mercury. Okay. John Lennon, I think was ex- was forty when he passed away, and Freddie Mercury, I believe, was forty five. Okay. <sighs> yeah. And John John Lennon, like the John Lennon one, actually is kind of a like when I was born, uh, because I think he passed away on December eighth of nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. Um. I was born on December 6th of 1980. And so, you know, I know a lot of times like parents, I think we did for our kids, you'll keep the newspaper of the day that your child was born. Okay. Um, and so I, but my dad, they probably have a newspaper from December 6th that they saved. Um, but my dad saved a copy in the safe deposit box of the Dallas morning news from December 8th, 1980. Um, because that was, I was two days old and John Lennon was shot and killed. Oh, geez. So, Wow. My dad was a big Beatles. Wow. My dad was a big Beatles fan, so that was kind of a Sure. You know, his firstborn was born and John Lennon died. Yeah. Man, think about that. We think of that as something we think of that as history. Mm-hmm. You know, but that was like real stuff lived by real people and Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I would throw in like if we're going musicians, I think uh, uh, Clifford Brown, um, okay. jazz trumpet player, 
amazingly talented, incredible improvisations, incredible technique. I mean, like just informed the style, I think of so many uh, uh, musicians. Um, and he was only 26 when he passed. And I believe it was in a car accident and it was just, um, you know, just so sad to think about that. But uh, yeah, I would say Clifford Brown. And I mean, you know, I, I just remember studying his music and I remember so many of his improvisations were like worked into sections of songs, right? They would write whole songs based on what he did. I remember, you know, that was like, you know, learning his, his uh, learning the way he would play, learning his lines was like a how to of, to play a a bebop line, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I went to school with a guy who's actually out in New York playing. He's a musician out there now. And he, really studied a lot of Clifford Brown. And so it was, um, you know, just incredible to talk to him and listen to him and, you know, hear what he had to say about all those things. And, and yeah, Clifford Brown, amazing jazz trumpet player and uh, just died way too young. Okay. All right. Uh, And final question. And this one was maybe too obvious for Pat. But uh, yeah, you put the kibosh on that one, right? (laughs) I I did. I wanted you to think a little bit harder on this one. Um, Okay. But then I'm cheating for my own question because I'm well, I'm going to reject the question, I guess. Um, (laughs) Question number three. Is there a biopic or historical movie that was so inaccurate that it bothered you? And for people who don't know, I did put in parentheses when I sent this out to uh, to everybody. um, I did say maybe exclude the obvious Pearl Harbor for Pat. Um, Pat going has, by the, so if there's anybody that would like to join Patreon that loves the movie Pearl Harbor, there it is. Please do because Pat hates that movie. <laughs> yes, that much is certain. Mm-hmm. But if you go by the exact wording of your question, I should just be able to say yes, and that I think answers the question. It does. That's true. All right. All right. Which which I guess I can let you have because my answer to the question is not really. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, there's none like I I know I always figure that biopics and and historical movies are gonna be somewhat inaccurate and even the ones that are so inaccurate like it's not even close um I, it doesn't bother me like as long as it's still a good movie I, I go into it being like all right this is this is a fictionalized work based on a character or, or a version of a character so I can still pretty much enjoy it and just watch the movie and you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's not how this went. Right. I think of, I think of I, one in particular, like one of the ones in particular is like Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen that one before. I have not. Okay. Great movie. I love that movie. And having, you know, been an English major and an English teacher, um, you know, Shakespeare, he's my boy. But none of that at all in any way, shape or form historically accurate. Um, still a fun movie to watch. And mm-hmm. and kind sure. of a fun fictionalized, a fun fictionalized account of uh, imagining how he might have written some of these plays and and created some of these characters and these pieces, um, but in no way, shape, or form anywhere near historically accurate. Right. But a fun movie. Yeah. You know, and things like Braveheart. Like I know Braveheart's not historically accurate. Um, I still love the movie. Sure. You know, I, I know I know that William Wallace, you know, as a historical figure, as a as an actual human being, 
um, was probably a little bit more rough around the edges than than what the uh, Hollywood. Uh, you're probably not going to win too many Oscars and 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 have him featured as a hero in your movie based on what the actual person might have been like. But, um, I you know I still enjoy the movie. Right. And I even Pat, close your ears for a second. I even enjoyed. I'm it. I even enjoyed when I watched Pearl Harbor that one time. So. Mm. I just, I mean, I ignored, I just tried to ignore that it was completely fictitious and inaccurate and all that good stuff. Sure. You know, it's it's one of those movies where uh, can you plant a bomb uh, in, an, in an asteroid and blow it up so it doesn't hit the earth? Yeah, why not? Sure. That movie might have been more historically accurate than Pearl Harbor, though, though. Just oh, I could, the I one could, that you're referencing. I, I mean, can just about guarantee that Armageddon is more historically accurate than Pearl Harbor. Dude, Transformers was more historically well, accurate than <laughs> that's that's also true. Uh, yeah. So, uh, do you have? I mean, are other than Pearl Harbor because we know Pearl Harbor is is one that you do not care for at all by any stretch of the imagination. Um, has there been any other one that you've been like, I just can't even watch this because I know it's so wrong? Yeah, I, it, you know, uh, USS Indianapolis, Men of Honor, colon Men of Honor, okay. it. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, like Bodie said, that is a surfboard, you know, that is a movie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it really, yeah, it, it's just, yeah, they do so much stuff in it that it's just so like, well, here's this character and here's this character and it's all the cardboard cutouts, you know? And like, it, it's almost, it, it almost kind of feels like, you know, junior high kids getting together and making a movie for a project for school. Like just the way they show the combat and stuff. It's like, I don't think that's how that would happen. It, it, you know? And I think I don't want to get all like, you know, I didn't serve in the second world war. I didn't serve in the Navy. So I don't want to be, appropriating and and you know angry on that their behalf i just i think especially around topical matter like the indianapolis i i think we just we just owe you know the people that died the people that gave their lives i think we owe bet owe them more you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so i would say i i watched that movie and it was just like oh this is this is a little rough and I, i mean and some of it was just the way they showed the combat, the way some of the special effects were. I mean, it was just like, this is, this is pretty rough, but then even the story was kind of like your stock cardboard cutout kind of melodramatic kind of stories, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I would say that one, that one was kind of a rough watch as well, except at the very end, they had a real PBY Catalina seaplane fly and land on the water. And so that, like you know 30 seconds or 45 seconds or whatever that you see that thing landing on the water and taxiing around that is almost worth more than the entire that is worth more than the entire movie so if you do have to watch it just fast forward all the way to the end where you see the pby land because that was a real plane doing a real thing and it's it's pretty amazing so nice uh but yeah and other than that i mean really like i'll watch that in movies and and i always just say i treat a movie like a jumping off point Right. 
oh, that's a really interesting thing. Let me go read the book on that. Let me go read three right. books on that. Let me, let's watch the documentary. Let's see what lines up. Yeah. And I get that you got to change things in movies to fit with the story and make it coherent and character reduction and all this kind of stuff. As long as it keeps in the spirit of the character or the spirit of what you're trying to do with the movie, um, you know, then I'm usually okay with it. It's when it's it's when you you know like this movie like and we don't need to redo the whole thing but it's like those are the things that i struggle with like this like why why are you doing that like why are you telling this story why are you making it seem like this you know and then i always go to if you're going to go out there and you know badmouth someone or cut someone or or, or make them you know kind of let's look at the drugs and everything why not just make it a fictional movie and, you know, just base it on stories that you've heard from rock and roll. Like, mm-hmm. like why present it as this is the story of them when it's not the story of them. Yeah. Right. And I guess those are the things I'll, that I'll struggle with and movies that I love. I mean, great movies will do that. And that's just usually for me, it's a head scratcher. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the racing movies that have come out rush, Ford versus Ferrari. I mean, fantastic movies. And I, I don't want to spoil them because there's so much great stuff going on. But then you kind of read about the real life and it's like, oh, that was, there was, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why are you telling the story that way? And then it's like, okay, well, it's easier to convey. Well, okay. I get, I get it. Yeah. And if it brings new fans to the sport or brings new, you know, students to historical events or whatever, then okay. Mission accomplished. But I'm just kind of like, why tell the story that way? Yeah, that's interesting to me. Well, and and having said all this, one of my favorite movies of all time is one of the most historically inaccurate biopics of all time. What was I, that? I love Amadeus. Oh yeah, there you go. I, there's I probably from moment one in that movie, it's it's 100 historically inaccurate. Well, not okay. not 100, but you know, like. So much of the relationship between Amadeus and Salieri, it, like it did, it was non-existent. Right. So you know, but I love that movie, and and there's nothing that's ever going to make me not love that movie. Um, even after I read, and I was like, oh, really? They didn't have a rivalry like it shows in the movie, huh? All right. Well, I still love the movie. So, you know, it's even after saying all these things about, you know, you know, sometimes this stuff bothers me and, you know, I wish they would have done it a little bit more historically accurate. I got to go back to ones like that and like, well, okay, I, I don't want you changing that movie. So. Right. I guess I'll, I guess I'll I'll pick and choose which ones I'm, I'm going to avoid. And I, for me, so I know I kind of non-answered my own question, but I, I'll go back and I will answer it. Um, Movies that, and I'm, and I'm not sad that I watched them the first time I probably won't go back and watch them again. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I'm starting to see a pattern here. It tends to be Oliver Stone movies. Mm-hmm. So once I found out, once we watched JFK and I was watching that movie and I was like, really, are we going to throw every conspiracy theory up against the wall and see if it sticks? Oh, we are. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. It's getting to be a little too much for me here. Um, yeah. So I, JFK and this one, you know, in terms of the overall movie itself, um, you know, did I stop watching the movie because it was so historically inaccurate? No. 
thought now that I've watched both of those movies, and and I'm like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> like you threw yeah. you threw so much at us in JFK that I got to the end. I was like, I don't even know what, I don't even know how to start sifting through everything that you've thrown in here. Um, mm-hmm. And then with this one, it's like, well, now I'm just frustrated because I feel like I was. If I had walked away from this movie and this had been my understanding of the personality of Jim Morrison as a human being, I think I'd be kind of upset. Um, right. So, you know, I I have enough of my own brain and my own will to look at that and go, all right, well, that was his movie and that was his depiction of Jim Morrison. And now I'm going to go watch a documentary that maybe gets a little bit closer to him. Right. So right. Not going not gonna to sit there and cry and pout because... You know, he didn't make it the way I wanted him to make it. I'm going to just go seek out some other stuff and maybe try to understand the actual history a little bit better. Yeah. Which I, yeah. Think, which I think is what you got to do. Yes. So. All right. Well, Patrick, do we have anything else we want to say about the doors? I'm going to go listen to some music. Is I, what I'm going to go say do. you're going to go listen to some music uh, while while we close the doors here. Yes. This episode. Um, so. This episode uh, has been, uh, it is our next to last in the month of November, our month of mind, body, and soul. Um, Our last episode for this month will be The Fisher King. That one is coming out next week uh, with Jeff Bridges and uh, Robin Williams, a Terry Gilliam movie. Uh, What else have we got? So then in December, and here I'm going to pull back the curtain, I think, all the way to January. Curtain's coming back. Yeah, there we go. Um, So in December... We've got our leftovers month. Those were all the movies that I, when I was trying to find a theme for each month, I had a whole bunch left over, and I was just like, uh, "How do these all tie together?" They don't. So let's throw those in December. That's um, right. They're all going to be. We're all going to talk about them in December. That's how they're tied together. Yeah, it's they're they're all December movies. Um, so our Patreon for December is going to be "It's a Wonderful Life," which came out nice. in 1946. So that means this is the 75th anniversary. And uh, we are going to have Jason Colvin from the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast on with us because up until a few days ago, he had never seen It's a Wonderful Life. There it is. And I am not going to spoil anything about his reaction. So if you want to find out about his reaction, um, you can either be friends with him on Facebook and Twitter or um, you can listen to that episode when it comes out in mid-December. Those are your options. So that is, and again, if you want to join us on Patreon, it is any level of support on Patreon gets you access to those episodes. Uh, You do not have to do any of the higher, you know, higher dollar amount per month. Uh, If you just want to get those episodes and just a little bit of moral support here and there uh, for the show, any amount gets you access to those episodes. So um, that is there. So feel free to join us over there. A bunch of other episodes are there for you as well. Um, I think we've racked up almost two years worth, well, or at least a year and a half or so. Uh, worth of episodes on there so wow um let's see and then in december uh we've got um so i threw in an extra one in here that we're going to do because i did make a promise that if we hit 2,000 followers on twitter um i we would do we'd review the movie stone cold from 1991 um so i'm going to throw that one in there as well uh stone cold i figured cold december that at least kind of fits right um and then we've got night on earth the giver my own private Idaho, Homicide, and City Slickers. And that's going to end <laughs> out. Uh, City Slickers will be our final movie of 1991. And then uh, starting in January, we are 2022 or 1992. And oh, good Lord, are there so many good movies 
1992. I am really looking forward to that year. Um, I say that every year, but you know what? It's always true. Yes. Uh, so January, we're going to start it off with a bang, and it's going to be Crime and Punishment Month. And uh, our Patreon for the month of January, probably coming out mid-January, is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird with Gregory Peck is hitting its 60th anniversary. Oh. So 1962, that's going to be our Patreon for January. And then the rest of our Crime and Punishment movies, we've got Lethal Weapon 3 is going to start hmm. off the year for us. Uh, the movie Hoffa will be our next one. And there then, it is. And uh, then following that is My Cousin Vinny. There it is. And then finishing out the month of January is Passenger 57. Man, that is a strong lineup. So that is a that is a good start to the year. Yes, it is. And I am I'm looking forward to all those. Um I have not seen Hoffa and I have not seen Passenger 57. Oh, um, okay, there you go. So, looking forward to those. Um but uh definitely looking forward to My Cousin Vinny. Like, <laughs> yeah. That that has been a fav- favorite for a very long time. That one is a good one. The two Utes, uh, excuse me, Utes. What, what's a Ute? Oh, I'm I'm sorry, Your Honor. <laughs> Youths. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So much good Fun. stuff. Fun. So much good stuff. So, uh, as always, Patrick, thank you for being here. Thank you, John. This was a great time. Great music. Everybody, if you want to check out more about our show, head over to 30podcast.com. Remember, we are members of the Scene Stealers Podcast Network, so head over there to scenestealersglobal.com as well. Uh, Hit us up on the social medias. We are pretty much 3-0-podcast on all of those, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, SnapTalk. I don't know what what all the different ones are called, but uh, whatever the kids are using nowadays. That makes me sound really old. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's all right. MySpace. I we, I don't know if we're on MySpace or not, but oh, I check. Do we it have out. a presence. We might have a presence. I don't know. Let's see if you can get. Do we in. have a presence in the Matrix? Uh, I'm sure we do. I'm sure we do. Like Second Life, The Matrix, Tron. I, we're in there somewhere. There so, it is. Yeah. All right, everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next time. Bye now. Yeah.